Welcome to another episode of the Manverse Podcast with your host Tom Traplin. This is session number 20. Welcome to the show. Today's featured guest is Gary Ray, the owner of Black Diamond Games in Concord, California. Gary is a guy some of you may know as a man with a set of specialized skills as well as controversial opinions. In this episode, we discuss the games industry at large, the bubble-like nature Magic has been experiencing for the last five years, and the skills Gary used to build an excellent game business. There are a lot of gems in this episode over the course of the conversation, so let's just get right to it. So... I'm, I'm Gary Ray, uh, owner of Black Diamond Games in Concord, California, and I've been doing this for about as my 11th year. Fantastic. So how did you get into the games business? Uh, I made the horrible mistake that many mm-hmm. make, which is thinking that I could do better. <laughs> it's a horrible mistake because it's the bar is low, and then suddenly you have a game store. Okay, it might so- not might not be exactly what you were expecting. No, that's a fair answer. What did yeah. you want to do better than? Like, was there somebody you had in mind that you're like, oh, I can, this is a business that I can, I can improve on? There were a couple, a couple of a store, or now store owners that had shopped at a local store. Uh, and then that store, the owner of that store went away to school. Uh, and that store kind of fell apart. And, we both kind of at the same time realized that, you know, we could do a better job at this and there's opportunity. So, uh, that's what we did. Uh, uh, I don't know if I should name names, but I'll, I'll say Endgame in Oakland and I'll say my, in my store, we're both, we're, we're both, uh, Chris over there. We're both had that same idea, uh, from shop, shopping at Gamesgate in San Rafael. Okay. So what was your plan to, Excuse me, what was your plan to improve? What did you think that you could do better? Well, I was under this mistaken idea that people had similar tastes uh, than I I did. Okay. Uh, And my taste tended to be a little more, it turned out, I was a little more esoteric. Mm. Tell me more. So, uh, I tended to be the guy who would buy, like, make cities out of miniature building authority (laughs) And uh, mm-hmm. enormous dungeons out of uh, out of Dwarven Forge. I I tended to like the fancy things, uh, and I was annoyed that the local stores didn't carry them. Uh, and it it turned out there was a reason they didn't carry them. They they were very hard sells. <laughs> there were not enough people willing to spend that kind of money uh, on like their Dungeons and Dragons games. Okay, so how did that turn out for you? Like, what did did you originally try and sell those products? Oh yeah, yeah. I made this. I, I I did it all wrong. I started off with I, I I got a home equity line on my house, which is how I funded my initially my first store, um, and brought in everything at once, which is the wrong way to do things. Mm-hmm. And I brought in I brought in I did things like role playing games. Uh, I know what I play, but let's bring in all of them. Okay. <laughs> Not like what are the most popular ones? What are you most likely to sell? Let's just bring in the core books. It was more like let's get them all. Real so shock and approach, on the right? one hand, yeah, it was a shock and awe approach to, to like role playing. So um, 
in one respect, people learned really quick that I was the place to go for that stuff. On the, the other hand, it took me years to kind of unwind those mistakes because uh, they really, you know, most people didn't buy those things. And people who are giving me advice tend to give me advice on things they already owned. So that wasn't helpful. And I had, you know, I had every miniature building authority item and I had wall of Dwarven forge and, uh, it was, it was an awesome store. I mean, it was just my dream store, but it was not at all financially viable as a game store. (laughs) Perfect as a clubhouse, but maybe not a, an actual hobby business. Yeah. Yeah, And no game (laughs) space because I was told that wasn't necessary. So it was really kind of like a not, a not viable thing. So, Hmm. I came from IT and it kind of IT taught me that you can learn skills quickly and adapt. So to my credit, I'll, I'll say uh, I learned the, I, I, I devoted myself to learning the trade uh, and threw myself into it and, and kind of turned that mess around, uh, which took years, but you know, that's, that was, that was part of it. And at the time it didn't, it didn't really matter that much because the, because the, you know, house, I was in, I'm in the Bay Area. The housing prices are booming. I, I considered myself a gentleman farmer, right? All I had to do was, you know, make my rent and plow my fields and, and not go broke. And my house was appreciating 10 grand a month. So everything was good. Hmm. Uh, so really, that was how that started. And then eventually, you know, housing crisis, financial meltdown, and, and things got real. Uh, so it, it, it was an interesting start. Okay, so let's just uh, stop there for a second and talk about that. How did the 2008 period and on really affect your business? Um, well, I moved to the new store in 2007. Uh, so I went from kind of being that gentleman farmer to really having to understand uh, the nuts and bolts of the business because once your rent exceeds your ability to ever pay it with a full-time job, you are really now in, in the thick of things. You are now running the business. And if the business can't survive, uh, you have no choice but to close it. You can't just go back to your day job. Yeah, no fallback. There's no fallback. So that, that had a big change. As far as the actual financial crisis, I mean, I personally, you know, my, my house crashed in value and financially I was kind of ruined personally which I got which I was able to figure my way out of but uh, the store itself wasn't affected in fact the the game trade in general they they will tell you and it's true I think is counter cyclical mm-hmm. so if things are going bad in the economy as long as your customers have jobs to buy things they will buy your things um, they won't buy the same things but they will buy but they will buy things of value you know they will they will they'll be more value oriented yeah, I so guess the uh, the argument is kind of like, oh, they could go out and see a movie for ten dollars with an hour's worth of entertainment, or they can spend that ten dollars at your store and get potentially tens, twenties of hours out of whatever right. they just purchased, right? So, like one board game lasts way longer than a single movie ticket. Yeah, and it's a psychological thing that happens. Mm-hmm. It it it, it happens. It starts. It, it happens fairly quickly in the beginning, and then it takes years to unwind. So, in my example, I was making ten grand a year of equity on my home, you know, paper equity, you know, paper yeah. money, not real money. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And psychologically, I'm fairly wealthy. <laughs> so I can go and spend, oh, there's an interesting role-playing book. I will probably never use that, but I will buy it anyway because it looks, I like the cover. 
and and that's kind of how that went. And there were a lot of products in the game trade that existed, especially role-playing games, that no one played. No one really played most of those games, right? Mm-hmm. But they bought the book because they had interesting content. Well, the recession hit, and once you know, once people realized where they were at, they stopped. There were products where people just stopped buying them, and a lot of the role-playing books that were kind of fringy, people just stopped cold. And a lot of those companies are gone now. Same thing with like you know, indie miniatures. You know, if you were you know, you're not buying fifteen-dollar miniatures imported from France anymore. You're not doing that. <laughs> so a lot of a lot of the sh- the product in the store shifted. You know, there's a lot of shifting happens. I mean, we clearance out stuff, we bring in new stuff, and, that, mm-hmm. and it takes time to do that. Um, but that, but that happened. But sales in general were up, right? And I think that's true for most stores that survived. Uh, there were some places like Vegas where entire communities evaporated overnight. Uh, people, you know, people were bailing on their houses in record numbers. Neighborhoods were were just eviscerated. Those stores failed. They had they had no customers. But as long as your customers were there, and they were employed, you were okay. Yeah, so I guess if uh, if your city, your local area kind of made it, then your business most likely kind of made it too. Yeah, huh. I think that's pretty fair. Okay, I was just I was curious how the how something like a, the Great Recession, as they're calling it now, would impact a uh, a hobby business. It's a it's, it's good to know that it's actually fairly safe. Yeah, those are not the things to worry about. The things to worry about are like what we're experiencing now. Um, we're experiencing a couple different bubbles uh, right now, and we're and the question is how you know how long term are these? Are they actually bubbles? How do you know if it's a bubble? You know, and and coming off the housing market, you know, housing bubble was twenty years long. So, you know, if you can predict something's going to be twenty years, it's actually kind of a trend, and you can take advantage of it. But if you can't, then it's really dangerous. Mm-hmm. So what what are you most concerned about? Like what if you're talking about bubbles in the world economy or in the United States economy. What's uh, what's on your radar right now? I'm not concerned. I'm never concerned about the general economy because I've learned that I worry about it all the time and it tends not to affect me at all. Mm. What I what I mostly worry about are things like um, the there's there's two kind of bubbles now. The big one that everyone talks about is the magic bubble, right? Okay. So there's a huge magic bubble. I mean magic is increased the sales of magic have increased like in size from, I don't know, I think they were, I think, I think they've probably tripled in the last five years, right? I mean, mm-hmm. game stores are, game stores are now acting like real businesses. Yeah, they have no, money. I found that as well in my area. Yeah, they have money now, and they're acting like real people. <laughs> it's like the thing about dogs, it's, you know, he, he thinks he's people. It's, <laughs> Is that really a bad thing? Um, it's not a real thing. I mean, it's not, um, it's not how it normally operates. So there's a, a problem where if the bubble bursts, a lot of these people who think they're running, you know, real businesses are going to be suddenly thrust into the to the you know the same old game trade where it, it's it's much tighter. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't I don't believe that most of them have the skills to survive that. So I mean, there's a there's a lot of nuts and bolts skills that you need to survive in game the game trade during regular times that are hard won. You know, that takes you a long time to learn them. And I, don't, I think most new stores don't have those skills. So there's kind of a risk that um, those stores could fail and then they could take out distributors. And, you know, th- this has happened before. Yeah, ripple effect. Uh, there's a ripple effect. And it can, you know, and the established stores may be okay. They may not be. Depends on how overextended you are. 
Um, for example, we're looking to move. We're looking to move to a much bigger space. And the reason to do that is that magic is driving our need for event space, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that means we're going to move to a bigger space or we're going to build a bigger space. And we're going we're gonna to have a much, much more financial exposure from that, right? We're going to have thousands of dollars a month more we're going to need to cover. We're going to have event space that assumes we're going to have tournaments with hundred, you know, over a hundred people, um, and if magic, if magic doesn't deliver on that promise, then uh, yeah, might have to pull back a little bit. Yeah, and I kind of know what I'm doing, um, so I kind of won't go so far that I can't survive without it. But there's a lot of people that this is it. This is all that. This is all there is for them. This is all they really do. Hmm. So, so yeah, that's a. There's definitely, there's definitely a concern over a magic bubble. That's a, that's a big thing. Okay, and you you talked about uh, skills as business owners that you feel that most most LGS guys they, they don't they don't have or they're just not ready for. What would you like? What what are the specific skills that you think that they should have? Well, most of them aren't diversified. That's that's the big thing. So okay. if there is you know a, a magic apocalypse, there's no nothing to fall back on. They're just gone. Um, once they are diversified, they they need to know how to you know the, the the lifeblood of a retail store is inventory. They need to know how to manage inventory, and they, and they don't know how to do that. They don't understand things like turn rates. They don't you know they don't understand how to get how to get a return on their investment. They just don't they don't do that. They're getting they're getting uh, so here's an, here's a good example. Average average game store probably does before this huge magic bubble would do three to four turns a year, meaning everything in your store sold say three times. Mm-hmm. And that was really good. Right. Um, my magic singles sell turns five times a month. Right. That's pretty fast. So that's something like 50 to 60 times a year. This is not the same universe mm-hmm. <laughs> that, that I lived in before. And that's the universe that these guys live in now. And they're not going to be able to survive <laughs> in that in that old world so just inventory management um the just day-to-day you know pushing down on on your expenses the you know net profit for for retail like this is usually in like the three to three to five percent range yeah and right now these guys are seeing just phenomenal profits they're able to open stores they're able to open like second and third stores that are you know because of magic uh, hitting sales levels that would take you five years to get to before yeah. magic. Uh, and that's just not real. <laughs> so some of them are stepping up and some of them are learning. They're, you know, they go to trade shows, they study, they read the books and stuff, but a lot of them are just kind of riding the wave. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, danger possibility, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I talk about that. St- I, I'm, presenting at trade shows now especially things like inventory management so i you know i kind of i'm looking for that i'm looking to see where people are at and it's a little scary hmm. so how did you get the sales what did you how did you learn all of these things that have helped you out so much um i listened to the masters <laughs> i started going to trade shows like literally on day one i mean i went to my first trade show in october of 2004 and I had quit my job the day before okay. and flew, flew to Wisconsin from California. And the, the notary showed up at my hotel in Wisconsin so I could sign papers to refinance my house, which I really shouldn't have. 
I should have done before I'd quit my job, but I just didn't care. So that's like how intent I was to do this and how quick I was to kind of jump on the education side of things. Um, so I went to the trade shows. I participated in the forums. I have a blog I've been writing since 2007. So I have about a thousand blog entries. I get a lot of, I mean, it's, I'm talking about what I think, but I get a lot of pushback and I get a lot of, uh, you know, rounds, rounds me out, uh, by, by talking to other retailers. Um, so at this point I'm, I'm helping other people. I'm on forums and I'm, I've, I've done a little bit of consulting work as well. So that's my, that's what I'm doing now. I'm trying to help other people get through this and trying to look at their numbers and give them advice. Okay. Fantastic. That's great. I can really, good, uh, I good. can identify with that. If yeah. so, what, what is the specific reason that you feel magic is a bubble? Like, is it just the, the growth over the last 10 years is just too much or is there something else that's really uh, standing out to you? Um, like why isn't this just way, a trend? I don't, I mean, no one can tell you something's a bubble until it bursts. Nobody, nobody can say that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and the housing bubble lasted 20 years, 25 years, to the point where if you, I mean, I'm in my 40s, if you bought a house in your 20s and you're now in your 40s, your entire reality is bubble. That's, that's normal to you. Um, so it's hard to tell until you're out of it that it was actually a bubble. So it's just a, it, so there's a question, is there a bubble? Is there not a bubble? You're, there's definitely huge, strong upward sales. I think it had a lot to do with World of Warcraft. Um, How so? When I started in, in 04, uh, the, the RPG community just disappeared. They just, for some reason, like overnight they were just gone. Uh, and they were all playing WoW. <laughs> WoW was the big thing. Hmm. Um, and, it, and it hurt a lot of stores. A lot of stores were, were in pain from that. Some closed, actually. Um, and then there was a point where WoW started, you know, started losing steam. I think it was probably, I'm trying to think when that was, like 08, 09. Does that make sense? Yeah, that feels uh, about right. And they, they were sloughing off something like a million players a month. A million people a month were being spun out of the WoW orbit. And a lot of them were looking for something to do. Uh, and they were older. And D&D wasn't the thing. And D&D wasn't really vibrant at the time. Uh, and they went to Magic. Uh, and then, the, so this magic community, as WoW was kind of dissipating, uh, WoW, uh, magic was on the upswing, and that was kind of my theory that what what jump started it. Um, so, in order for so then my theory is like, well, what my question is, what would happen? What would have to happen with magic for it to lose that momentum, right? Mm. And it'd have to be, it'd have you know, you you can envision another another MMO, some other phenomena, some you know some you know, virtual reality device, something. So we're always kind of looking for that thing over the horizon. Well, I guess you can kind of say it's already sort of happening, and at least in some senses with uh, Hearthstone. There are, like, Hearthstone has become immensely popular. It's kind of like uh, Blizzard's World of Warcraft too, right? So many people have uh-huh. gone from playing Magic to playing Hearthstone because it's a different model, and it's quick, it's easy, it's fun, it's entertaining. There's a lot of pros it, it might, that are uh, no longer playing Magic. They're playing Hearthstone on their streams and such. It, that, it could be a thing. I haven't. We. I don't think the game trade has noticed a huge dip or uh, or anything. So maybe, or or maybe what we need is we need more games like that to kind of uh, you know release the steam, 
to keep things on track, to keep things from overheating. Yeah, make it a little know? more sustainable. Like I know, a little more sustainable. I know some of the magic sets that have come out in the last couple of years have been kind of lackluster, and some stores have closed. Some stores took deep, you know, deep chances on that, and they went deep on it, and they and then they failed. And that's kind of what you need. You kind of need some culling of the herd. Things mm-hmm. need, you know, need, need a winter every once in a while. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. I guess so, I guess all it would really, or something that could be a problem is uh, all it would take is for Wizards of the Coast to release another Mercadian Masks or a Homelands expansion of something right. that, on that level. And Comic- you could actually see a lot of people really just like, nah, I'm going to sit this season out. And that could really yeah. uh, turn a lot of places off. Yeah, I went through the Kamigawa block, and at that point I didn't yeah. have any OP in the store, and it. And yeah, magic went down to nothing for me, and that was okay because it was like ten percent of my sales. But nowadays, it would be pretty devastating hmm. uh, for a lot of stores, including mine. But uh, it's it's these are interesting. These are kind of theoretical questions, really. I mean, there's also a there's also a board game boom or bubble right now as well. I actually, sell more board games than I sell magic. Oh, that's um, interesting. And that's and that's just on fire with you know that's driven by things like tabletop and and board games partially from tabletop kind of getting into mass mass consciousness where they weren't before. So there's a lot of stuff going on in the board game market as well. And that's actually, you know, like I said, bigger for us. Um, Do you think that's a I mean, California not, thing or is that something with your store? What's the trend? It's Why? A, it's a national thing. Um, it's definitely a big, it's definitely a national thing. It's big. Uh, it doesn't affect, it's not as big an opportunity. Not everyone can, I mean, you could you can open up a magic store very quickly and take advantage of that, but there tends to be a couple big players in every marketplace for board games. Hmm. Like we're we're that player, gotcha. um, so it's not it's not quite as universal, but it is huge. It's 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 out there and it's big. Uh, it just do, it just doesn't have that kind of universal effect that magic does, where any store can do it, which is another problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well. Okay. Uh, going back just a little bit, uh, you mentioned that before you didn't have play space, and this is something that uh, I wanted to talk about specifically. Why didn't you have yeah. play space with your original model, and then also why did you switch, and like how does it affect your business? This was so it wasn't it wasn't considered essential at the time. This was like two thousand four, um, and this was the advice I got because I did a lot of research. I didn't have it, and. And truthfully, I didn't need to have it. I mean, you don't need to have game space to run a game store. You could have a store. You could you could be one guy, and you could open. You could you could do like a nine to five kind of job, or eleven to seven, which is what I did, uh, and go home and see your family at the end of the day. Not run any events, and you can you can do that. You can survive. Um, it's just not anywhere near as profitable as events. Events drive sales substantially. Um, but you don't have to. So when I moved to the bigger space, I went from about 900 square feet to 3,300 square feet, where we're at now. That's we're about to jump. go even higher. Yeah, it was a huge jump. Yeah. Scary. Um, and we have about 1,000 square feet of game space now. And I had no metrics to, to, just, to, to, to figure out how to pay for that rent. Right? So that rent is an extra, let's call it 2,500 bucks a month for empty space. Right. Mm-hmm. And I had learned how to maximize my turns, my inventory management to get the numbers I needed to pay my expenses and make profit based on inventory. Right. So I looked at this twenty five hundred 
square feet of dead space. And I said, I have no idea how to, how to monetize that. So what I did is I, I basically brought in enough new inventory to the store to cover that space based on my, my factoring the turn rates and stuff. Okay. And that, that new inventory was, I was diversifying into toys, uh, which a local, another local store was doing it. It seemed to work for them, but they had kids nearby and it worked for them. So I brought all this inventory in and it completely bombed, completely failed. Right. So all things being equal, I should have, that, that the store should have failed. Hmm. Um, but what I discovered is, um, that inventory didn't do anything. What I discovered is having the game space increased my sales 60%. That's a big job. Uh, which was, yeah, which is what I needed to basically, you know, cover my expenses and continue. So, so I found that it worked out pretty well and you absorbed, uh, absorbed one downfall with, with the game space. Yes, exactly. And then, okay. you know, it's like inventory, it takes a couple years to cycle it out and then you've got profit again. You've, mm-hmm. You can actually, you, you know, retune your store for that. So that was my kind of game space revelation. Cool. That's kind of how I always felt about it. The, the stores that I've seen that have table, to, table space for magic tournaments or board games or tabletop, all that stuff. I feel like they're always more, uh, more energized. There's more going on. There's more people buying. It always kind of felt that way, but to actually get some, like a good number, a good hard example that how it affected your business. That's very interesting. It, it really does that. I mean, it builds community. It, it, it's kind of the heart of the business. It, it, that, that community is, is becomes, you know, becomes kind of the soul of your store. Um, <clears throat> it's not an area that I actually enjoy managing. I have, a, I, I, I delegate that whole process cause it, I'm more of a nuts and bolts kind of guy. Um, event management gives me a headache, but that's, but it's definitely, you know, it's definitely where it's at. That's, that's a fair, fair perspective to have. That's why you hire people to take care of that thing, right? Yeah. I have find great, people who want to do that and have that strength. Exactly. If you, I mean, mm-hmm. and there's people that are just, that are, that feel that are doing it, that are miserable <laughs> And they just need to learn to delegate that. Yeah. Okay. So, so what, uh, how do you utilize your game space? What kind of stuff, what kind of events do you actually hold in your store? Well, we have, I think it's 14 events a week. Uh, we're open 10 to 10 every day. So we've got uh, pretty much uh, all, all types of events throughout the week. You know, we have three nights of magic, which is the big, you know, the big moneymaker We've got a couple of D&D and Pathfinder events. We've got, you know, Warhammer 40K and Privateer Press with, you know, War Machine and Horrors. We've got, you know, all the – we have a full-spectrum store, so we run a, a kind of a full-spectrum of events mm-hmm. for that. And they're all full, and they're all at capacity, and we are – and we are uh, – we have a problem. So we're actually expanding the store next year um, to, to add another 1,000 square feet. Nice. It's not that's, a that's it's not a terrible problem to have. It's, it's not a terrible problem. No. So we're going to build a mezzanine. We're building a mezzanine level on this on our second floor uh, to accommodate that. Sounds sounds exciting. Yeah, exciting and terribly nerve wracking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. A little more overhead. A little more. A little more risk, I suppose. Well, we're not. We're actually not going to pay rent on it. We're paying. We're we're paying to build it, and our um, and our uh, 
property management is going to going to do the actual building of it, and in exchange, we don't have to pay rent on it. Uh, that's kind of how I manage the risk of that. Well, that's not a bad deal. So I have a no. So I have a loan and stuff to do the construction because it's very expensive. I can start another store with that money if I wanted to, but I don't have the risk of of moving or having extra rent. Interesting. This assumes that happens. <laughs> yeah, this is still kind of in the plans, right? If it well, it's been pl- it's been going on for three years, <laughs> so so it, something's going to happen early next year. Either going to build it or we're going to move to a bigger space. But I'm really hoping we can get the moving, <laughs> gotcha, or get the get the expansion. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Much rather have that moving is a terrible experience. Just as a general rule, moving a moving store is, is probably way worse than moving a in a an apartment or a house. Yeah, I mean, it's. I was talking to my my father about this, you know, because he's like, "Really, you want to move? That sounds really risky." And if you think about it, it's kind of like, imagine you were working at a job for ten years and you decided to switch other jobs, right? You go to a new company, and if you get fired from that company, you can never work again. <laughs> That's kind of like what happens when you move your store and you fail. So yeah, that would feel pretty it's, bad. It's definitely, yeah, it would be a bad. Thing. A little nerve wracking. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> How did you come up with the name Black Diamond Games? I thought I was going to do games sort of based on regional parks. That makes sense. Uh, so I wanted to have a, a look to the community. And Black Diamond, there's there's a, a number of Black Diamond. There's Black Diamond Regional Park in the area. So I wanted to name mm-hmm. it after that. And I, I live in another area that has Wildcat Canyon. So I was going to have a Wildcat game. So I was going to have multiple game stores with different names. Oh, okay. But uh, I think one is a good number at this point. So that's how I got that name. There's a there's a Black Diamond Mines. Uh, there's a there's a bunch of bunch of businesses with Black Diamond because of that. Gotcha. Uh, not it's not terribly creative, but that's kind of where it came from. But hey, it works. That's a it's a good way for or it's a good identity for your game store to have. So, and I always yeah. find that interesting because there are I don't know the, the names for game stores are I feel like are way more diverse and like odd usually compared to other businesses. Yeah, I was so trying I just, to avoid and you know the Android's dungeon, <laughs> none of that. Yeah, so it's uh, that's a question I always kind of like. I'm I'm just curious about because usually that's like a there's a personal reason as to what you came up with something you really liked. But uh, it was less personal. I mean, one of my main concerns is I don't want to I don't want a gamer's den. I, I definitely started off with the idea of kind of like an enterprise. I wanted to bring in um, the general public. And I wasn't going to do that by paying, painting the walls like a dungeon or mm-hmm. having a having a funky name. So it needed, to, it needed to be upscale. You need a little more broad appeal. Broader appeal, or at yeah. least not you know narrow appeal. Yeah. Okay, that's good. That's a, that's a good uh, good good answer. Uh, you mentioned that you you blog pretty frequently. Do you right? Is there a reason that you started doing that? And like, have you found that? Uh, have customers ever come into your store because of your blog or is that uh, for um, other store owners? It's, it's kind of interesting cause it's, it, uh, I started kind of just as to kind of journal our, our, um, our transition to the new store. Uh, and then there were just, there were topics I wanted to discuss and I didn't feel like I was, there was a place to do that online. Uh, it's interesting I don't want to say it's an interesting blog because it's my blog, but it's kind mm-hmm. of interesting because I, I tend to talk about. Hold on, we'll fix that. That's okay. <laughs> um, so 
it, I tend to talk top top. I tend to talk about internal topics to the to the game trade in my store specifically. A lot of stuff that nobody nobody talks about publicly, right? I mean, I've been accused of uh, revealing the magician's tricks, you know, peeking, letting people peek behind the curtain. <laughs> so there's some people that really don't like that I talk about the actual game trade in the blog. Uh, really? But I think it's I think it's yeah I think it's interesting and it it definitely draws definitely customers that appreciate it and those that will that will drive long distances and tell me they do so to support the store because i do that because uh, you reveal the uh, the details of your your work life they just because kind of, they kind like to they identify with that? that yeah they appreciate the transparency they appreciate the insight i mean that's kind of the we're in that kind of a culture now where everybody wants to know how things work uh so i do it and they and they do they do appreciate it i have only had a couple people that took uh that didn't like it um mostly because i think it kind of challenged their 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 world view of of how this stuff works but you know mm. yeah that's fair if you're that's, putting out uh opinions that uh maybe they don't hold or that they find yeah. kind of you know air quotes offensive or something yeah i can see why yeah, they'd be a little annoyed by that i'm extremely opinionated on this stuff you know and i'm and i and i'm not balanced <laughs> I don't give the balanced perspective. I give my perspective because it's my blog, and some people don't like that. They feel like I, you know, well, you don't speak for me, or you don't speak for the game. I'm like, no, no I never said I did. Yeah, if you <laughs> but, want to speak uh, for I yourself, do... start your own blog. Yeah, start your own blog. Damn it. Seems <laughs> fair. Yeah, I, yeah. So, but I, I, I've been doing it. I, I every once in a while, I think I'm going to quit. <laughs> but it just, I just keep doing it. There's usually something that interests me, something to write about a few times a month and I'll just, I'll just write it. Uh, and sometimes it gets a big response. Sometimes it doesn't. And I don't really care either way. <laughs> so. Seems fair. Do you get a yeah. lot of, uh, most people that I've talked to, most game store owners get a lot of customers who come in and, you know, tell you how much they love your store and how they would love to have a store just like it or, you know, that kind of sentiment for some reason. Gamers. That's kind of like a common dream, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, they all they all want to do that. Yeah, they all think it's it, they all admit, we try to make it look easy. Yeah. Uh, so that's they don't see behind they don't see the bathrooms. <laughs> yeah, they don't see the work behind the counter behind in the closed doors. Just yeah, looks like see the whole, games, games, games all day. Sounds great. I try to make it. I I tell my staff I try to make it look like a, I, it's kind of like theater work, right? It's like we do rehearsals all the time, and we set the stage, and then when the customers come in. Uh, everything is amazing, and we and we're, we perform for them, and they don't have to see, you know, what what actually goes into that process. Um, the downside is customers then don't think there is a process; they don't think there's actually work involved. And I get that most often when I try to hire people. They come in and they're they're like, "Oh, this this looks like fun. We're just going to play games all day." <laughs> so I was like, "Well, how do you feel about cleaning bathrooms?" Someone's uh, got to do it. So yeah, and, and there are people who will. I've had I've had customers start game stores locally uh, because they they disagreed with how I was doing something, and you know it's kind of foolish. It didn't work out so well. Do you have a an example? Like you don't have to name anybody, but like what what kind of what happened? Somebody. Um, we had a we had an interesting situation when I started the store where we remember I didn't have community before, mm -hmm. so I started the store. I had game space. And there was a magic community, and they liked our space, but they didn't know us. They didn't care about us. 
And uh, there were six, at that point, six other stores in the area that are all gone now. And as they would fail, we would kind of um, we'd absorb their communities. Uh, and so, they did, so, again, they didn't have loyalty. Um, and they would occasionally, you know, half of them or so would leave us and go to another store. And then that store would fail and they'd come back to us. So we, we, all, and so we had this feeling that they didn't really care about us. So we really didn't care about them. We didn't trust them. So we didn't want to invest in them in any way. So, like, for example, we didn't do singles, magic singles, because we didn't, we didn't really believe that, they, that if we invested in them, that community would stay, because in, in, historically they didn't. Um, so one of the guys who was, you know, one of the factions of this community mm-hmm. decided that he argued with me that we should carry magic singles. And I said, I'm not going to do it because, you know, reasons. And he went and started his own store. Uh, and, you know, half the community left and went over there. And played at that store, at least until they failed, and then they came back. Um, and at a certain point, the, the judge community, who are the adults in this, often the adults in this situation, yeah. it's surprising that, that, they're, that they're such a great community. They kind of said, you know, we're, we're here at your store now. We're going to stay here. We're not going to go anywhere. So, you know, let's work together. And, and, and we kind of built some trust, uh, and we, we kind of molded the store a little more towards what they needed. Uh, with that trust. Uh, and even when other stores popped up, they stayed. So, you know, that reinforced that. I don't know if that answers your question or not. <laughs> I don't think there's some good, some good points in there, but, uh, yeah. that, that's pretty interesting. So why exactly, or what, uh, what were they doing wrong? Like if they found that, uh, this, this faction that opened up the rival store, they kind of saw that their magic players, they wanted magic singles, or at least, that seems what they, uh, the need that they identified, and they went and opened a business. What did they do wrong that caused them to fail? Well, they they did what a lot of the a lot of stores do is that they were they were grossly undercapitalized. Mm. So they they didn't they didn't have a, a grasp of their expenses, and they didn't have a grasp of how much magic they were going to actually sell. So when they finally did close, I was I mean, it, the, the store changed ownership, and I actually got to see their financials because they wanted that they asked me if i wanted to buy it which is dumb because it was like a mile from my store and i wouldn't it would be kind of pointless but i looked at their financials and i was like is this the is this your is this your weekly numbers because this is not very high it's like no that's what we do in a month right yeah so their month their monthly numbers were my sales over a nice weekend right it was it was that bad um so and a lot of stores are surviving on that you know i've got I've got a friend who's got a store. I mean, his main objective for his store, which he considers it to be a successful store, is to is to actually pay his employees properly. <laughs> and those are the kind of ambitions you have in a small magic-oriented store. <laughs> yeah, like, pretty, one day, pretty baseline I one stuff. Have, yeah, I one day wish to have insurance and payroll. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then we will know we have really made it. <laughs> yeah, I won't be paying myself, but I'll pay my employees. Yeah. Uh, we'll be all set. Exactly. Yeah, peanut butter and sandwiches only go so far. What would you tell these people when they come to you and say, "I want to, I want to own my own store"? What, what are the what's the advice that you give them? I, I well, I'll tell you first of all, I want to both be, I want to be honest with them, and I and I don't want to discourage them, um, but I will discourage them <laughs> because the the main thing they're going to need is a lot of money. 
uh, and it's more money than sense that is than is sensible to put into a game store, right? So you can run a magic shop with not a lot of money. You can start a, a so-called with air quotes game store that does specifically magic for the cost of tables and chairs and a, a one-month rent deposit, right? It doesn't take much. Yeah. But if they want to run a diversified game store that's going to survive no matter what, what you know, whether Magic's doing well or not, it's going to take a lot of money. And if they want to stand out in a crowd, because I'm talking to people that have game stores in other parts of the country where rent's cheap, and, and they're in these metro areas, they're fighting against up to 10 stores uh, with in a sh- with just a short a small number of people in that area, they're fighting against ten stores because it's so cheap to open one of these kind of magic you know these these casinos. Hmm. Um, so what you need if you want to want to avoid that is you need some heft. You need you need some in- you need inventory is what you need, right? You need to have some mass because mass builds gravity and gravity crushes everything in its orbit. So that's how you survive in a difficult market is you have that kind of mass that's derived from inventory. Inventory is expensive. So the main thing you need to start a store is a lot of cash for inventory. And we're talking, you know, we're talking maybe 25 to $50,000 of inventory uh, to start. And we're talking a a starting budget of anywhere from 50 to a hundred thousand dollars for the store. Uh, and honestly, if you have $100,000, you know, and you're considering dropping it on on a new game store, you probably should have your head examined. <laughs> it's not the best investment. There are better ways to spend your money, uh, better ways to start a business. And that's, those are the kind of discussions I have with people, right? Do you have any other skills or anything, anything else that you do now that you could go do, you know, on your own? Those kind of discussions. Mm-hmm. Like I came for I, from IT, I would have been much better off um, quitting my job and doing IT consulting. And even you know, it wouldn't take much money. It wouldn't take many hours a week for me to 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 make the same amount of money running a game store without any of the risk. So it's an interesting like uh, interesting position to have as a game store owner. Yeah, I think most store owners who've been doing this for a while kind of have gravitated towards that, that position. If you're going to, you shouldn't do it. If you're going to do it, you're going to have to have a lot of money. Uh, and, but if you have a lot of money, you probably shouldn't spend it. You probably shouldn't do it. (laughs) Yeah. So I guess the, the real determining factor is how much they want to do it. Like if they have the money, you said, yeah, they could go out and do any number of things with that money and probably still, and probably, you know, generate more, get a better return with it. But if, a game store is really what they want to do. If that's what they're passionate about, if that's their dream, then that's what they, that's the factor that they need. If they're just kind of like, well, I think I should, uh, maybe, maybe a game store would be really cool. You know, that sounds, sounds like a lot of fun. <laughs> and then you, you're like, no, you're not ready for this. Yeah. And, and the, and the interesting thing is, um, this is, I've been giving that kind of advice for years now. And some of those stores are still around and some of those stores are great stores, right? There's people I've talked to, that I've given that talk that I've, you know, I've given that speech to and, and they've gone like crazy squirrel in Fresno is a fantastic store. And they came and talked to me and that's what I told them. And they went and did it anyway. And Oh my God, it's a fantastic store and they're very successful and they've got way more energy uh, than I do at the moment (laughs) for the, for this, this, 
for this trade. So, so I mean, like, that's a fantastic thing when you see that. Um, I'll, you know, and I guess I should say the ones that don't open are probably successes for this for that process as well. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, slight shift. If you had to start over from scratch, would you do anything differently? Like if you went back 11 years and you were going to get into this and you decided that you were actually going to do this, you didn't rethink the whole process. Is there something that uh, you wanted your store to be different that you'd want it to, to change? Well, I did, I did like a lot of people, I did everything wrong in the beginning so when people when people ask me about opening a second store, I tell them I only know how to do it wrong. Uh, but so the question then comes up is like, do you actually know how to do it? Could you do it again right? You know. Mm-hmm. And uh, for a long time, I thought the answer was no. Right. I mean, there must have been luck involved or whatever. But I've been to enough. Tra- I've been to a couple trade shows in the last year or two, where I've talked to people uh, in the trade who have who have done their second stores and were like me, they did everything wrong in the beginning and they have, and they have hit the ground running way faster than I thought was possible. So yeah, I could, if I opened another store, uh, it'd be a lot like the one we have now. There'd be game space. There'd be, uh, there'd be a lot of inventory, but it would be slowly ramped up. Uh, I might do a concessions. Uh, I don't think it's necessary, but I think it would be, I think it would be, uh, uh, a factor, right? It could be a, it could be a popular thing. You know, I'm talking about like doing a coffee shop or mm-hmm. um, like more than just a, a pop fridge and some chips or chocolate bars yeah, and things like that. Like, like actually, like a cafe style, perhaps. Cafe style would be cool. I mean, I'll tell you, I don't know anything about it, and I, I advise people not to do it if they don't have that experience. But I, I might do it. Um, there's a a really important thing called um, third place theory. If you know about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, which basically says, you know, people have their they, people have their home, they have their work or school, and they have this third place where they want to spend time uh, and socialize and spend their money uh, and do that. So, the game game stores are that third place. But if you have concessions, like if you run a coffee shop or whatever, you kind of turbocharge your third place. Um, so, I'd love to be able to do that uh, if I were to start over again, right? Um, but you know, even now having you know looking at additional stores, I'm not sure I would want to want to take that risk because I don't know anything about concessions. <laughs> hmm. So would that be an argument for bringing somebody on who does? Like, if you were to start a store, you'd be like, okay, I've I've got the game side, and look for yeah. a potential partner who's like, okay, you're a former barista or something, like you know what you're doing here. Would that be a a reasonable way to go it, about that? It'd be reasonable. I'm uh, one of the one of the, I'll tell you another problem I see with stores, even really successful ones, is too many mm. partners. Uh, I don't think there's enough money in the game trade for most stores to support more than one person, <laughs> to be honest. So, I mean, even big ones, we're not talking a lot of money. Uh, but I'll, initially, when I was brainstorming the idea of the first store, I was doing it with a friend of mine in IT who had that coffee shop experience. And we were going to do that. We were going to do the coffee shop game store. Okay. And eventually he lost interest and I kept doing it. <laughs> so, so I didn't do a coffee shop. But yeah, if you have that expertise, you know, maybe a spouse would be a better example if you could get, get yeah. a spouse that had experience. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, think, I'm not a big fan of partners. Yeah, I think it sounds like you, you lucked out there that your, part, your, your potential partner decided to just go do something else. 
if you'd actually like moved ahead and then a year down the road they're like, man, I'm not really into this anymore. That's like a, a huge problem because that's that is that really complicates things. So yeah, that's a major reason why stores fail is that kind of conflict. Yeah, and I'm I'm glad to hear you say that because I've kind of felt that way and I've had a few other people who've talked about that who've started a store with three or four partners. And then each one kind of just, they break off and go do something else and it throws everything into chaos. And each time it's, it's, it's awkward, right? It's a very difficult situation because it can actually destroy the business if it's not, uh, if things go wrong, if there's no plan to separate or if like people can't buy each other out just yet, you can have a, a major problem. It's, it's a big problem. I've had the problem myself. I had a, my initial partner, I, have a, I do have investors. Okay. I own the, I own the majority of the store, but I, I own 75%. But I had an investor who, who initially owned the other 25, and he started his own business around the same time I started this, and he needed his money back. Yeah. <laughs> we, didn't have a, <clears throat> we didn't have an exit strategy in our LLC agreement, and we had no uh, instructions on how to evaluate his shares, right? So, and, and the way it works with investors is, when they when they want when they want out they want more than what they put in they suddenly their shares have lots of value yeah right uh, it, it's so we had to because there was no agreement we had to come up with because he was a friend of mine come up with some sort of you know arrangement to where we would both be happy and he could he could get out and I, eventually what we did is we ended up you know selling his shares to other people you know but again that whole conversation of like well why should they pay what I paid, considering now the business is better off than when I started. Yeah, technically, he has an argument there, right? Like, technically, yeah. they are more valuable because the business now exists and it's doing, it's actually making a profit, hopefully. Yeah. So, yeah, like I can right, see that. Right now, they would never, they don't want to sell their shares and they don't want to let anybody in because they can't agree on what the share values are. <laughs> so, Again, not another, uh, not a terrible problem to have. No, so, if you're going to, but... Yeah, I guess my advice would be have a LLC or a corporate corporation and have it very clear what what your exit strategy is for investors and personally have a very good very clear understanding of what what failure looks like for you, right? Mm. So, you know, what is it going to take for you to quit and when you see that will you do it, you know? Yeah, cuz you, you don't want to Yeah, you don't want to lose your house. You don't want to you don't want to, you know, raid your kid's college fund you want to have a clear idea of, of failure and when you get that accept it and move on yeah you don't want to be the last person on the t- titanic actually going under the water you want to get off the boat yeah. before it sinks don't, don't do that so. so uh why did you get investors like did you when you started the business did you have investors and then or did you look for them afterwards for a specific reason i um you know, I started. I started with the idea that I wanted to do it, and then I had a really good friend who um, has kind of a finance background, and uh, he, he thought I should do it, but you know, he he knew I wasn't quite ready for it. So okay. he said he would help me help me with it. He would invest, and I didn't need his money, but I kind of wanted him. I needed I needed somebody else with some expertise on board. So I, you know, he's the one who kind of shepherded me through writing the business plan, which was, you know, a terribly painful process, mm-hmm. uh, but very educational. Um, and he's kind of the one. He's, you know, he he went from my finance guy to kind of a cheerleader over time. Um, 
And I, I, I just like having other people that I have to report to, that I can talk to, that can give me feedback, if that makes any sense. Yeah, no, uh, I get that. He thinks, he thinks that's dumb. <laughs> <laughs> and he thinks I should buy everybody out uh, and, and that it's dumb that I'm doing all the work and they're getting money. <laughs> so, uh, but I kind of like it. I kind of like having some, you know, partners that are helping me out, even if they're mostly silent. Okay, so you didn't need their money for any specific reason? You just wanted to have somebody else kind of involved just to talk to? Yeah, well, I kind of needed him in the beginning as kind of the financial guy because I don't think I had the confidence, and I definitely didn't have any business acumen when I started. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so I definitely needed him in the beginning. Um, and then when we, when we transitioned into a bigger space, it was kind of a reinvestment. And then I did need some more money. Huh. So I did bring in a few more partners at kind of like a junior level uh, who, had, who had some money. So that was, at that point, the, financial, the housing market had just crashed. So I did not have the cash cow that was my house to draw from. Gotcha. So I need, needed more money. Um, but at this point, yeah, they they just get checks every month. They're very happy. They don't say anything. Yeah, it seems like a good deal for them. It's and, very and good. And a pretty good deal for you, too, if it lets you accomplish the things that you want to get done. That seems like a pretty yeah. good way to, to go about it, right? Yeah, that's exactly what it's for. Let me do what I needed to do. Probably much better than an, like a bank loan or something, paying an absurd amount of interest to your local bank. Seems like a if you can get less good idea. <laughs> if yeah, yeah if you can get it at the time, I'm sure it was probably pretty yeah. difficult. Even now, I have one. And it's a terrible, terrible loan. <laughs> it's it's a, it's the, it's a bank loan. I mean, it's it's a thing, but it's not very good. Yeah, it's it's a tool, but you don't necessarily want to take it out of the toolbox. No. Okay, uh, there was one thing that uh, I did want to ask you specifically. Was a uh, I listened to a podcast recently there was a podcast called uh Serlin's game design and they talk about magic in it normally they just discuss uh, different uh, competitive games and their merits and things like that and they he felt that magic was a poor competitive game it wasn't it wasn't well suited and they thought that the uh the design the trading card aspect of it where you open random cards and booster packs and things like that and the the nature of buying cards for actual cash made it bad because it was an uneven playing field. Uh-huh. So like you, certain people, if you had more money, technically you could be more proficient at the game because you could buy more cards. And in a sense, they, they are right that that's not the best situation for a, an actual competitive game, right? It might be like paying for better chess pieces. Right. But, uh, I always, I thought that was an interesting argument, but at the same time, I thought that, uh, magic is, the fact that it is that way gives other people the opportunity to build a business on the secondary market. Like if, if it wasn't like that, like you can't sell Netrunner cards, right? Because it doesn't work that way. Right. And yeah, there's uh, I mean, there's, there's this problem like in the miniatures, like this, not, not to, not to derail your, your yeah, comments, there, but in the miniatures market, people want, um, they want miniatures let me let me let me try to describe this. So there's people who want miniatures that are unassembled and unpainted, and then there are people who want miniatures that are painted. Right. Mm -hmm. um, the the amount you have to pay to buy these painted miniatures um, 
is not enough to cover the costs of producing them if you know what you're getting, if they're not collectible, right? So in order to give you a pre-painted miniature that you know what you're getting, I have to, they have to charge you something like three to five times more than if it was randomized. Because the chase element of the randomization is what covers the costs of the miniature. Yeah. <laughs> the miniature, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. So, so you kind of have, that's the only way that model works. So, so whenever anybody does pre-painted miniatures, that product fails. So you can only have chase miniatures in a random box or you can have unpainted miniatures. That's kind of where that falls in, in the spectrum of commerce, uh, which is kind of unusual and interesting, I guess. But um, yeah, as far as magic goes, I mean, I have, I have kind of mixed feelings about the whole gambling nature of magic. I mean, people come to me and they talk about, you know, occasionally I'll get comments about either war games or the satanic nature of Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. Uh, in this area, it's very rare that that happens, either one of those. But um, those things ethically don't bother me. The ethical thing that kind of bothers me is children coming in buying Pokemon packs, hoping to get, you know, the right card. That kind of gambling nature is, that, that makes me a little uncomfortable. It's kind of an icky incentive. It is icky. And the whole game trade is based on icky right now because magic is so hot. Um so it's, yeah, it's kind of hard to argue against it too, right? Like it, yeah, it works. It, it, businesses are built off of it, but it's incredibly effective. <laughs> yeah, but and, and on that same token, though, businesses are built off of gambling. Like there, there are casinos, and I don't think anyone's going to really argue that casinos are a great thing for people or for anyone's individual life, right? You're not going to be like, oh, you should go right. to a casino. It's going to make your life so much better. Or, you know, uh, cigarettes. There's plenty of businesses built off of cigarettes, but uh, no one's going to say, yeah. that's a good thing. I yeah, hope. yeah. And then you start to ask, you know, did I, is, is this what I signed up for? You know, like, my passion is not magic. My passion is other games, yet I'm making all this money on magic. You know, should I have an opinion on that? Should that bother me? <laughs> uh, but, you know, I think... I, you have to kind of step back and, and I tell myself something, you know, I've been telling myself something for years, which is, you know, I'm going to have to assume that everybody has a budget and everybody has a job and they're all maxing out their 401k yeah. and they're coming here with their disposable income and this is bringing joy to their lives, right? Otherwise, it'd keep me up at night worrying about, you know, the, the morality of it all. <laughs> yeah, it can be kind of, that's a tough question. It's a tough place to be in because... I understand the uh, when you become an owner, you kind of feel not necessarily responsible for your customers, but you, I don't know, you come to like them at least, and you want what's best for them, hopefully. And like, there have definitely been uh, store owners who come on the podcast and talked about how they know that person is spending their last few dollars opening cards or opening uh, packs of baseball cards or something, and you know they shouldn't be doing it, but it's their life, right? It's what, yeah, it's, and, and what are you going to do? You're going to cut them off? I mean, they're not going to go, yeah. they're not going to, you know, drunk magic and kill anybody. So <laughs> yeah, gonna, that's another thing. Yeah. <laughs> so, it's tough. There's, there's, you know, there's some issues like that. I mean, and you, and you want to, you want your life to have meaning and you want to, you want your business to be a positive, you know, element in the community. And sometimes you have doubts. Yeah, yeah. That's an interesting ethical question that I don't think really gets explored very much, because people no. it's like 
it's games, right? You feel like, oh, well, it's just it's not that complicated. It's just games. Right. Right. But, and I know the war games have a have an element in them that are positive for people, and I know that there there are no demons and devils and Dungeons and Dragons because I play it, and there aren't any. Uh, but then there's this question of you know these things that we sell behind the counter in dispensers very much like cigarettes to small children. <laughs> that's that's another question. Yeah. That's yeah, some pretty good uh, good conversation so far. Is there anything uh, anything you would want to share with somebody? Specifically, if they wanted to know more about the games business, was there anything that you wanted to talk about? Um, well, I would say that there's there's definitely there, they should definitely look look for the resources before they they jump. There's a couple Facebook groups that are uh, game. There's a game industry and two game store Facebook groups that are excellent resources. Uh, my blog has the has a has a link to like if you look for game trade resources on my blog you'll find a ton of stuff and there's a couple books out there but they're hard to find okay uh, well i'll make sure to put the links in the show notes for anyone yeah, who would yeah. who does want to find or get into some of these facebook groups are they but yeah. uh, invite only kind of things they they are i mean you have to kind of be very close on the path to opening a store before they'll let you in because they're you know there's they're very candid groups that talk about everything mm-hmm. out there a lot, of, a lot of things that they don't want want customers to see, uh, but the but the yeah, there's there's links on my blog to to more public ones. I wish there were more. We we're just talking about books today. There's a couple books out there, but right now they're the they're not in print. One of them is about to about to be available uh, more easily, but right now, yeah, there's that's hard to find information. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm doing, or why I'm doing this whole thing. It is tough to learn about this there's no uh, there's no college course for this there's nothing there's nothing to really set you on the path other than kind of jumping in and I think that's probably a big reason why so many people kind of screw it up yeah so jumping I you know jumping in going to trade shows I read I bought every book I could find on retail mm-hmm. uh, and it turned out that that put me you know light years ahead of a lot of people because most people that are doing the game trade are all about games. Uh, they're not about retail. I mean, it's really the business room is retail, not games. Yeah. Uh, and most of them have never read a book on retail. So, so a good yeah. recommendation is, was there anything specific? Like any book that you thought was like the one, if you, uh, if there was one the book one you could that, say, if you could buy one book that was available, it would probably be why we buy by Paco Underhill. That's fantastic book but there's been a bunch of others that were of marginal use but still you know reinforce what i knew like uh, one was called retail in detail there a, there's there's only about a half a dozen to, to maybe nine books on re, on you know specific retailing that are available and you can usually get them on amazon for next to nothing used so uh there's a the book's the books that if the people should hunt down, uh, Dave Wallace is the name of uh, a store owner who's been around for many years who's in semi-retirement. And he's got uh, the Specialty Retailers, what is it, Specialty Retailers Handbook? His book's available through Alliance Game Distributors, so if, if someone's a new store owner and they have an Alliance account, they can maybe get the book from them. And then uh, um, Lloyd Brown has a book that's about to come on the market that's, that's a, a game trade retailing book right now it's just pdf uh 
but yeah, I, I think my blog, I think I have a blog post that lists all that stuff. If you want to link that one. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I'll definitely get that in the show notes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, there was something that we skipped over just a little bit. We were talking about ethics and that kind of thing. So, uh, and uh, happiness specifically. So what does success look like for you? Like, what does that mean to you for your business? What is, what is a successful business to you? Um, for me, it's doing what I want. Uh, so if there's things I, I don't want, if I can delegate those and do the things I do want, I enjoy that. Uh, um, recently, in the beginning of this year, I stopped working the counter, right? Mm-hmm. I, I told I told my manager, I'm like, look, I just can't, I don't want to stand here every day anymore. I just can't do this anymore. This is just, I, you know, and it was, it was like January and it's, there's kind of like this postpartum depression that retailers have in January because yeah. December is so incredibly busy. And then January at the end, is so slow and you feel like nobody loves you anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and I just told her, I can't do this anymore. I don't want to, I don't want to work the counter. And she's like, well, don't. And it never occurred to me to just not. You're like, you know? Yeah, you're right. I'm the owner. You're right. I guess I won't. So it, it took a couple months of transition, but I don't work the front anymore. I work the back. And and then I waited for the store to fail, and it, sales went up 25%. So it's like, well, maybe I'm the problem. It's like, no, no, just just take a break. <laughs> so that's success for me is being able to do what I want. And that could mean working it every day, which is what I did with no questions for many years. Uh, or it could mean not doing it ever again. <laughs> so mm. it's a very personal question, I guess. <laughs> Eventually, it will mean uh, retirement and having enough money to live on, uh, if if that if that ever happens. But until then, it's building a retirement account, uh, savings for my son's college, that kind of stuff. The, um, the usual life aspirations. Financial, yeah, financial incentives. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as yeah, but but doing what I want's the big thing. It's a good answer. It is, yeah. it's different for everybody as to what it means. Some people, yeah. you know, it's success is, uh, like you said, oh, I can pay my employees. That's, that's success. That's great. I know a lot of people that are, that, um, I have, uh, kind of envy because they have so much love for the, for the games and the, and the game trade that they would love nothing more than to demo games all day or do trade shows, right? They, or not trade shows, but like game conventions. Like mm-hmm. they want to go. They want to go run games and get for game conventions and introduce new people to games. I mean, I, I have a lot of respect for those people, but that's not me. I don't want to do that. <laughs> so, so we all have our own definitions. If what you want to do is less day to day stuff for the store, what what is your like ideal situation? Like, if you could just say, okay, I'm you know I've got everything covered. I've got people in place. You know, the business will run somewhat without me. I don't have to necessarily be there every single day or have my fingers in the pie all the time. What would you do? Um, I mean, there's a question of opportunity. What would you do with the opportunity? Um, I, I suppose, I mean, there's, there's potentially more stores you could do. Um, other businesses, I've been interested in opening maybe a, a different type of, of retail store because I feel like I understand retail really well. Uh, so I'm like, well, why not open something completely different? Uh, but then there's also a lot of risk involved, right? Uh, if your if your success in your first store hasn't amassed you a huge amount of cash, and you're leveraging your first store to do your next thing, then you know 
Yeah, if it doesn't if you go well, fail, you bring down the first one. If you fail both, you know, both directions, yeah. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm. I'll tell you, I don't have an answer right now because I'm kind of at the crossroads. I don't, I don't. I'm not needed at the store. I don't have a, enough of a bankroll to do the next thing. I mean, I'm doing this construction project, which is kind of my excuse for a next thing, right? Well, it's a big uh, change, so yeah, you can see that, that that works fine. It's a big thing, but I can already tell you, it's it's probably worth you know. 18 months to two years of my time, and then I'm going to be in the same boat. Yeah, you have to <laughs> Which is not a, be looking towards the next bad. big thing. Yeah, looking towards the next big thing. So I kinda, I'm kind of i already jumping to the next one. <laughs> I don't know what it is yet. I'll let you know. <laughs> that's, that's good. That's actually kind of what I was going to ask next. Uh, it's like other than your mezzanine and your construction plans, like are you, what, what's, uh, what's in store? What else is coming up? It's, it's hard to say, and I'll tell you, once you get... Once you're successful at the first thing, uh, you have a lot to lose, and you're less you're risk averse, which is how competitors mm. sneak up and you know eat your lunch. <laughs> so, so everyone everyone's somewhere on that cycle. That's where I'm at. <laughs> okay, uh, where can if people wanted to come and find you and they wanted to come visit your store, where can they do that? Online and offline. Uh, they go to blackdiamondgames.com, uh, and that that will. Tell them where we are. It'll link to the blog and our and our Facebook page where we do a lot of communication with people. Um, we don't have an, we don't do online sales, but that they can find out where we're at from there. Perfect. Uh, yeah. Do you do uh, do Twitter or anything like that? Keep in touch. Uh, I probably should. I just do I just do a lot of Facebook. Okay. Yeah. Well, uh, thank you very much for coming on the show. And I'm I was very happy to talk to you about your business. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, I always enjoy it. Yeah. Uh, I'll let you get to your store and take care of things. Okay, well, thanks. Yeah, have a great day. Do you want to run better Magic events with higher turnouts and players battling one another to stay on top of the standings week after week? Well, now you can. MTGleaderboards.com is a system for creating and managing everything you need to run killer Magic tournaments. Create seasons, track player performance, and get your players pumped to play in your store every day of the week. Check out mtgleaderboards.com, sign up today, and you'll get the early adopter special rate. Supercharge your magic events with mtgleaderboards.com. Okay, hope you enjoyed that interview with Gary. Be sure to check the links he mentioned. They're in the show notes down below. Also, Amazon Prime Day is coming up, July 15th, I believe. That may be a good day to pick up some of those books that Gary talked about. If you're interested in running a business that lasts more than a decade, those books are a good start. And if you want to learn more about games through entrepreneurship and the magic community, head over to manversaga.com because that's the home of the Manverse podcast and that's where we put this whole thing together. So head over there and show your support. And as always, thank you for listening.